Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me tonight. So glad that you are here. Turn to your neighbor and say, I might learn something tonight. How many of you know we ought to always be learning something? Learning something. I uh, want to speak to you tonight about what we have been uh, covering for the last three weeks. Is it logical? There are so many things about the Christmas story that makes no earthly sense. So we have to delve into Scripture to see what the Lord is saying and how He does what He does, which is miraculous, right? So I want to share a scripture with you as we get started. This is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, trying to explain to them this miraculous event about the virgin birth. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. How many of you are glad you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God? And it's only through the Son that we're able to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for bringing us together. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here tonight. Tomorrow afternoon, uh, probably about 3 o'clock or so, I'm going to drive to Yukon and pick up my little granddaughter, Riley. She is four years old. So about three weeks ago, I did that. It was um, about the Thanksgiving week or so, and I drove up on a Monday to pick her up so she could spend some time with Carrie and I. She kind of likes to do that, and, and we like that. But it's also a blessing to take her home. Uh, so I'm driving her from Yukon, and we're headed south, and we get between Yukon and Mustang, and we're driving south, and Riley's in the, the infant, the child seat to, to my back right, she's in the back, and, and I'm driving, just her and I in the car, and it's a two-lane on both sides, and she, she calls me Papa, and she says, Papa, look. So I look over to the right outside of the window on the passenger side, and there's a car there, and there's a guy driving, and he has white hair and a big white beard. So that's why she said, Papa, look. And I said, he looks a lot like Santa Claus. And I said, Riley, do you think that that's really Santa? So, I mean, she never hesitated. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about in a microsecond. She said, dude, where she gets the dude part, I don't know. <laughs> so she says, dude, he's not in a sleigh. Like, that cannot be the right one because he's in a car and not the sleigh. So I said all that to say this. The Messiah, dude, is he the right one? So this is what Paul is saying and Luke is saying and Matthew is saying and we have to really, you know, acquiesce to say, is he the right one? Dude, is he the right one? So let's look at Scripture tonight and uh, let, let's uh, examine this. Luke chapter 2, please turn there. 
And I'm glad that uh, the the group sang tonight about the shepherds in the field because that is the portion I want to read to you tonight. Verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, if you look at verse 13, that word host is really referring to an army. There's an army of angels, angelic beings, that are filling the skies around the angel who's giving the annunciation to the shepherds. So it's interesting that if you track this nativity story all the way back to Zacharias until the birth of Jesus Christ, when the angel of the Lord shows up to tell, to give the word, Everyone's afraid because the angel rehearses this time and time again to Zacharias, uh, to Mary, uh, to the shepherds. Don't be afraid because what would it be like to see a supernatural, uh, let me just give the words that you see on television, an extraterrestrial? Uh, How do you know most of the world believes in extraterrestrials now? Well, they're just catching up to the Bible. Because angels and the created beings of the heavenly host are all not from this world, right? And so when the angel shows up, uh, don't be afraid. And he gives the message to Zacharias to marry the shepherds. And he says, this is good news. And the good tidings, it's the same word that's going to be used to represent the gospel. So how many of you know the gospel is good news? Now, in Luke chapter 2, the angel's message is very, very specific, and we read it. We're going to read it on on Saturday when you come here at 530. We'll hear the Christmas story again. But I want you to know the, the specific nature of the angel's annunciation to the shepherds. And maybe you haven't broken it down like this, but I think we need to just for the fact of our faith. So he says, there is born this day. Everybody say this day. Not another day. But this day. So it is a specific time, a right time. Let's go back to Galatians 4 and 4 where we started. When the fullness of time comes. When the fullness of time had come. How many of you know God had this orchestrated from the beginning? It had to be at the right place, the right time. So he said there's born this day, the right time. In the city of David, the right place. Had to be at the right time. Had to be at the right place. A Savior the one that we need. There has been 400 years of silence from God. We know that from Malachi to Matthew, uh, there had not been a major revelation. There had not been a huge sign, a huge wonder. There had been things happening. But the Bible says the people sat in darkness. So we have what we call, biblically, the 400 silent years. And so now it's almost like, where's God? He's been silent. And now at the right time, At the right place, the city of David, a Savior, the one we need, has come, and he is Christ the Lord. 
not anybody else, but he's the Messiah, the word Christ, he is the Lord. Now, this word Lord is the Greek word kurios, which means the one who owns, the master, the possessor of everything. How many of you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, created all things. They were created by Him and were created for Him. So the angel said, now this is not just anybody born on this day, not anybody who's born in this city, not anybody who has just come as the Savior, but He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah who owns everything. Now, you may not have interpreted that way, but that is literally the biblical enunciation from the angel. This is the one born at the right time, at the right place, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, who owns everything. So, the angel is saying to the shepherds, I want to make you really know the veracity, the surety of who you're fixing to go see. This is Christ the Lord who possesses everything. And he has come as a baby in a manger, in a feed trough, wrapped in strips of cloth in swaddling clothes. So what the angel is doing, I want to narrow this down, shepherds, to the identity of the baby that you're fixing to go see. You're not just going to go see an ordinary baby. Can I hear an amen? But this baby must meet these requirements. And obviously the shepherds went to see the baby who met all those requirements. So Matt asked me a question about two weeks ago after the first sermon that we started on and I preached on Luke chapter one. So we're in my office and, and Matt brought this up. He said, do you think some people think that Mary and the people who were involved in the story tried to pull this off on their own to make it fulfill prophecy? That's a good question. And I'm sure people have asked that question. And some people think that this is a, uh, a story, that this is uh, some kind of sham. And so these people really did this to promote that this was reality. Um, do some people think the Christmas events were staged to fulfill biblical prophecy? I'm sure some people think that. So there are some things in our control and some things that are absolutely out of our control. So let's talk about that just for a minute because I think Matt asked a good question. Well, let's start uh, at the beginning. You, you cannot control when Caesar Augustus would take a census. Mary and Joseph couldn't control that. I mean, th this is the emperor of Rome. They, they have no dialogue there. They, they, they don't have the newsletter from Rome. They, they don't know what uh, he's thinking. He's the sovereign in that worldly sense in Rome. He's the emperor. He can do whatever he wants to. So th they couldn't control that. Uh, you might can control where you have a baby. However, if you live in Nazareth and the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, you're 90 miles away. Now let me stop here and tell you a story. So we had our boys, uh, Matt and Aaron, birthed in Chickasha. Nathan was born in Duncan. So from our house to Chickasha is a good solid hour. So when, when Carrie went into labor, her water breaks at our house. I've got an hour to get to the hospital. And I remember going by a sign that it said Chickasha so many miles and Carrie looked at me and she said I don't think I'm going to make it 
And I said, oh, baby, you are going to make it. <laughs> now, I'm in a car going 75 miles an hour. I'm an hour away. But listen, I'm not 90 miles, miles away walking. Listen to me. I'm not 90 miles away walking. So if Mary and Joseph are going to pull a con off and say, well, the baby prophetically has to be born in Bethlehem, so we, we got to get to Bethlehem, that's not the reason they went. They went there for the census that we just talked about. And, and yet they're 90 miles away. And if you walk a certain you know, amount of, of miles a day and you do it for eight hours with a pregnant woman, listen, pregnant wom women don't travel well in cars. I deserve a better amen than that. <laughs> it would have taken them about four days, four days to get there. And there's something about just the natural process that you cannot determine exactly when you're going to give birth because there are things that just happen. You go into labor. You, you don't uh, say, well, I think it's going to be at 5 o'clock tomorrow. It's going to be, you know, the next day. Sometimes they just look at you and say, i got to go right now. And so there are things completely out of their control because the baby was supposed to be born there in Bethlehem, and nature has a way of just having its own timetable. Uh, you cannot control the bloodline effectively that you are from. Now, if you've done you know, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, you're kind of like me, maybe you can go back three or four or five, six generations, and after that you kind of get lost in the mix and you realize your tree doesn't fork somewhere. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, um, that, they were very religious about their bloodline, and so we know from Scripture in Luke and in Matthew, so what we think is Luke gives Mary's, Matthew gives Joseph's, and we know prophetically that the baby had to be born from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. So when we track this back, we know the Davidic bloodline is necessary to fulfill prophecy. So we know Mary's bloodline goes back. So the question, why do they trace Joseph's? Because in the process of Jewish history, the kings had to come from the father's bloodline. Now we know that Joseph is not the father, but if he's going to raise the Messiah, then there's also the pedigree, if you will, that he comes. Now, when you look at the Davidic bloodline from Mary and Joseph, Mary's bloodline actually comes from the, the son Nathan. But Joseph's bloodline actually comes from the son Solomon, who's the kingly line. Nathan wasn't, but Solomon was. So they, they had to control some things that maybe they didn't have the ability to control. And here's another uh, mix in this loop. These two, Mary and Joseph, are teenagers. Now, I don't know if you know anything about teenagers, but they hadn't got it all figured out yet. Matter of fact, from about 13 to 25, it's the smartest you'll ever be in your life. So, most likely, Mary is somewhere 14, 15, maybe at the oldest, maybe 16. They're contractually to be married. Joseph is probably only maybe a year or two years older. Uh, I, I know this for boys in the Jewish culture at 13, then after that age of 13 they're considered a man that's why they have a bar mitzvah 
because you're going from boyhood to manhood and now you're going to be betrothed to a woman. There's going to be a marriage in your future. You're going to raise a family. So we have these two teenagers and there's things they cannot control. They cannot control Herod's decision to kill all the babies two years and younger. They can't control that when the baby's born. They cannot control the kings of the east or the magi coming to worship the Christ child and bringing gifts. They cannot control that. They cannot control the witness of Simeon and Anna in the temple when they bring Jesus into the temple. Because when they bring Jesus to the temple, Simeon is there, and if you read the Bible, it says he is drawn there by the Holy Spirit. So he is drawn to the temple that day because the Holy Spirit has shared something with him that when Mary and Joseph walk in with this child, Simeon takes him up and he says, I've lived now long enough to see the salvation of the Lord. Now, he actually takes the baby from Mary. How many of you know the, the, the alarm would go off in Walmart if that happened? So he is brought there by the Holy Spirit. He takes the child, lifts the child up, and said, Now, Lord, I'm ready to die because my eyes have now seen the salvation of the Lord. Then Anna, who is about 84 years old, she's a prophetess, and that same scenario goes on, and she points out the child and says, To anyone who's looking for the redemption of Israel, here he is. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And listen, Mary and Joseph could not control whether Simeon was there or Anna was there, nor did they control what they said. So, Matt, ask you a question. There are things totally out of their control that we know happened and brought this to the forefront that this is supernatural. This is not logical. This is, not human, this is not human inspired. This is not human drama that we have rehearsed this. This is supernatural from God. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, let's go a little bit further, and I don't want to keep you very long tonight. Famous words of a preacher, right? But turn your Bible to Micah chapter 4, if you have it. I'll put it up on the screen. And I want to give you a, a, a prophecy and a word from the Old Testament. This is from the prophet Micah. And we've, we've talked about this before, but maybe you haven't been here when we've discussed it. And you, O tower of the flock, let's begin at verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former, former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Let's stop there just for a moment. Look at that first line, and you, O tower of the flock. The wording tire of the flock, if we took it to Hebrew, it would be the tire of Edar, E-D-A-R. The tire of Edar is only mentioned one time in your Bible. It's back in Genesis chapter 35, verse 21. It is spoken about when Rachel dies. So we have Jacob and Rachel and the clan and the family, and we know that Rachel gives birth, and as she gives birth to Benjamin, she's going to die in childbirth, and where she is buried is right outside of Bethlehem, and it is talking about in that chapter, chapter 35 of Genesis, the tire of Edar, which Micah calls it the tire of the flock, so that is actually what the name Edar means, the tire of the flock. Now, why the tire of the flock? Because that is where the lambs are birthed that would be Passover lambs. 
And this has been generational. This, is, this is, has been historical. So let's keep reading. To you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? How many of you know, I only know one king. This is the heavenly king. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For pains have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain, labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman with birth pains. So isn't it interesting that this prophetic word about a woman giving birth in you know, uh, labor, birth pains here, is spoken about at the tower of the flock, the tower of Edar, where Rachel is buried. Someone said it's about a thousand paces outside of the city of Bethlehem. This is where Rachel is weeping for her children because they are not, because Herod is killing the children in that area two years uh, old and younger, all the male child, because he has heard the king of Israel is there being birthed, and that's why he wants no competition. And so that prophetic word is talked about the tire of Edar or the tire of the flock. Would it not be logical in this illogical message that the Lamb of God would be birthed where the lambs are birthed for Passover? Because we know that he is the Passover lamb. Without blemish, firstborn Passover lamb. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jewish history, and you know, you, you can't get this from the Bible, so th this is just uh, uh, a thought, this is a conjecture, that at the, the Tower of Edar, when those lambs are being born, it was so important, they had to have lambs for sacrifice. So when Passover came, you had to have a lamb, a Passover lamb, in your house, in your home, to celebrate Passover. Now, why is this important? It was so important at the beginning of Passover, if you didn't have a lamb to strike the blood over your door in your house, your firstborn died. I mean, this is heavy stuff. So they, historically, would have a Passover lamb, the most complete, perfect, without blemish lamb, male, first year, and they would have those lambs birthed by shepherds who were almost shepherd priests for that purpose. And God had the Lamb of God birthed in the very same place where the lambs were birthed, at the house of bread, the city of David. And so we know that Micah gives prophecy. So here's another question. Why a baby? That's a good question. Why a baby? As, as Matt said, you know, we, we have the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords. He preached this morning about the significance of the illogical uh, Christmas story. So th there was no palace. Th there, there's no royal announcement uh, with, uh, you know, newspaper or horns or uh, town criers going from city to city. The only announcement we have is prophecy. And the only heralds we have are angels. So is this the way God's going to do this, that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is going to be birthed in a stable, in a place where he's going to be laid in a feed trough by, you know, teenagers watching after him? That's interesting, isn't it? So why a baby? That's a good question, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Psalm chapter 8, this is a psalm of David. 
And David is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. And if you go back to the original language, that is the Elohim, not just angels, but it is what we would call, you know, all of the, the, the created host of God. You're created, we're created a little lower than the Elohim, for you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So David is looking back to Genesis chapter 1. And you say, okay, what, what does he say in Genesis chapter 1? Well, God made man in his own image. And he said to man, this is the first thing that's ever been spoken to mankind. He said, you be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. So who did God give dominion over the earth? Man. So if he's going to come back and to undo what Adam got us into, he had to come back as a man. Because who did he give dominion to? Man. So God is not going to breach his own word and breach his own order. So he has to be you know, truthful to what he has already said. Does that make sense? So, so here God is, I'm going to make man in my own image. I'm going to tell you to be fruitful, multiply. I want you to subdue it. You now have dominion over the earth. So now this one who is born in Bethlehem under the star, the Savior, he's called the second Adam in the Bible. He's coming to undo what the first Adam got us into. So the first Adam was human, created by God, and now the second Adam had to be human to undo what the first human got us into. Does that make sense? Because we have to process this legitimately by Scripture and God keeping the word that he's already spoken. So he says, okay, man, you have dominion. Man, you got us into trouble, right? So who's going to undo what the first man got us into? And God had to come as a man to undo what man got us into. So here he is in accordance with God's own law and his own protocol. So man had been given dominion and a man had to take that dominion back. Man fell into sin, so a man had to get us out of sin. And Jesus is called the man Christ Jesus, even though he is God in the flesh. So that's why this duality he is deity, but also he is humanity. He is the son of man. He's also the son of God. And so that's why he came as a baby. And it was, it's, it's interesting that in this, this whole story, it, it, it is so packed and chock full with amazing stories and amazing things that we almost have to ruminate it. I, I mean, I just have to think about it and just digest it some. Because it is rather overwhelming, isn't it? When you, when you look at all the things that happened, all the things that, you know, revolves around the story, the angels, uh, a virgin giving birth, 
a young man who is being convinced to take her for your wife because uh, she is with child of the Holy Spirit. She hasn't stepped out on you, Joseph. Come on, you know, be a player in this story. Uh, and, and thank God that Joseph was. So, so Joseph and Mary are going to raise this phenomenal child, this wonderful child, who is going to save his people from their sins. And thank God for these two teenagers. Thank God that these two youngsters, if you will, took on this amazing task. And when we, we look at all the things that happen, Mary's response is not, uh, I'm not going to do it, or uh, I, I don't understand this uh, completely, but how can these things be and let it be according to your word? That's a lot of faith, isn't it? As someone who decided, I'm going to step out on faith and believe the plan of God, the word of God, and obviously there are signs and wonders and miracles that are happening to convince these two youngsters to continue on in this plan of God. But what I found amazing, I want to finish with this tonight. In this plan of God, God uses old people and he uses young people. Because the, the story of Luke begins with an old couple who are past childbearing years. Now, it, it doesn't stop with the old couple because it immediately goes to a new couple and a very young couple, Mary and Joseph. So now we have a couple that's older, so much older that they don't believe it's, it's even possible that they would have children. And that's why Zacharias couldn't speak for a while because he doubted the, the word of God. And, and finally, you know, he, he did get his uh, word back and his uh, voice back and he did speak. But it, it's amazing that when God decided to do what he's going to do, he said, I'm going to take an old couple and I'm going to take a very young couple. Now, I don't care who you are tonight. You ought to thank God that he uses old people and he uses young people. And we need to realize the same is true today. I don't care how old you are, please don't check out God uses old people like us. If you're a young people, young person, don't say, well, I can't do anything because I'm young. God uses young people too. He uses both the, the old and the young. Now, uh, we, we had some conversation this morning and uh, Judy gave me a verse, and she said, I don't understand this verse, and I don't stand all the, understand all the verses either, but Jesus made the comment to uh, the crowd, his disciples, that he looked back to a prophetic statement in the book of Malachi that uh, Elijah would come and turn the hearts of uh, the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And Jesus made a statement. He said, I'm going to tell you Elijah has already come. And he's referring to John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, making the way for the Lord. Now, think about this, this term, making the way of the Lord. So, so here's this older couple who give birth to John uh, the Baptist, John the Baptizer. So he's going to be the voice crying in the wilderness, making the way for the Lord. You know what older people do? They make the way for younger generations to come. 
I mean, you know, I, I hear this from Matt, and, and I hear this from Tanner. Uh, the, these young people over here, I think last Wednesday I had like 120 young people over in, in the youth service the other night. And, I mean, they have technology, they have lights, they have sound systems, they have chairs, uh, they have air conditioners, they have a building. But if you went over there and looked at the offering, I mean, it, it may be $5, $10, $20. And when you pass the bucket among all those young people, how many of you know, whatever they're giving, and I hope they're giving a whole bunch, but I'm going to prophesy tonight. I'm going to prophesy that whatever they give doesn't even have a drop in the bucket of what it costs to feed them, the electricity, the building, the technology, the lights, the, the staff over there. It doesn't even ring the bell. Let me tell you who's making the way. It's Zacharias and Elizabeth's. It's the old people that are making the way. So John is making the way. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. He is making the high places low, the low places high. He, he's preparing the way. I, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to warm up the crowd for you, Jesus. I'm preaching a message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first thing that you and I have to do or anybody does to get saved is we have to repent. And so the way of the Lord is, you've got to repent before you go any further in this kingdom. And repentance is saying, I've messed up. I'm not who I should be. I haven't done what I should have done. I'm not the standard. I, I'm not at the place that God wants me. And I have to confess that. So listen, John is not bringing salvation. Jesus is bringing salvation. But to get salvation, you've got to repent. And John is the voice crying in the wilderness that you must repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. And why is it at hand? Because the king of the kingdom is right behind me. I mean, I'm six months ahead of him. And I'm having the message first. I'm preparing the way. Because prophetically, Isaiah said, there will come a voice in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way of the Lord. I'm not the Lord, but he is the Lord. Not a Lord, but the Lord. Amen? Yeah. So he is preparing the way. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming. Uh, actually, I do know when Jesus is coming. A day that you think not. That's when he's coming. But I do know that whatever you do and I do, we are preparing the way of the Lord. Now, you say, well, how do we do that? Just, just like the analogy I gave, we're preparing the way for the next generation. Just like the generation before me prepared the way for me. And I'll guarantee you, you can think of some people that you loved and they loved you that are no longer here that helped you and put you up on their shoulders to go a little bit further than you are today. And I can name them. And I appreciate them. Some of them are still around today. But they prepared us for the next move, the next step, the, the, the next blessing. And we are riding on the coattails of their success. They prepared the way. Now, uh, you may be here tonight and say, well, you know, I, I don't uh, you know, offer much. Listen, we all offer something. And collectively, it becomes even much more. It, it becomes uh, dynamic. It, it's multiplied when we just put all of our stuff together. I remember when I was about 50 years old, 
a um, long time ago, um, that people begin to look at me like I looked at people in a generation before me. Does this make sense? And there were people that were preaching, people who were leading, people in the church that I looked up to, I learned a lot from. And then I saw, you know, a couple of generations behind me that were looking at me like I looked at them, and immediately I had a reaction to that. And my reaction was, I'm not worthy. I'm not them. I'm not the place that they're at. But then I began to look around, and that generation was dying. And they were moving on. And then you, 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 know, you look back and you see a couple of generations behind you and you look forward and there's not many people in front of you because they've all gone to glory. And now you have to realize that now you are that generation. And Zacharias and Elizabeth is that generation because one of the first places that Mary went when she gets to the Annunciation is to Elizabeth. So the young people immediately went where? To the old folks. And Mary wanted to tell Elizabeth, listen, I want you to know what happened to me. And Elizabeth, when she hears that, the baby leaps in her womb because she's carrying the one who's going to make the way for the one who's in your womb. Isn't that amazing? Because John came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, he wasn't Elijah because we know Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses. But let me just give you another thought, and maybe this will clear some of this up. In the book of Revelation, there's going to be two witnesses that come right in the middle of the uh, Great Tribulation. They're going to be uh, killed and lying in the streets. But for three and a half years, they're going to come, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to show signs and wonders. Uh, many people believe that Elijah is one of those people because how many of you know Elijah never died on this earth? He went up to heaven in a whirlwind, separating uh, Elijah and Elisha by a fiery chariot, and then Elijah goes up. So when they say, and prophetically, that Elijah will come before the end, maybe Elijah will come before the end, but we know, do know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, why do we say in the spirit of Elijah? Because when you look at Elijah, Elijah was a guy who came really from a place where not really familiar with. He, he's the Tishbite. Well, where is that? I guess Tish. I don't know. The only Tish I know is Tishomingo. I don't think he's from Tishomingo. So, you know, it, it's like he just comes out of nowhere. I mean, he, he, he has no uh, uh, introduction. All we know is he steps into the courts of Ahab and he says, it will not rain again until I say so. That, that's his entrance. And then he goes to heaven. But Will he come back again in the middle of the great tribulation and die because it's appointed every man to die and then the judgment? So will that happen literally? Maybe so. I don't know. But I do know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah because if you think about John the Baptist, he dwelt in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild honey and he did not shop at Dillard's. He wore rough clothing, and he did not take any prisoners. So Elijah walks into the court of Ahab, and he says, it will not rain again till I say so. And then you fast forward to John the Baptist and to the religious leaders at that time, the ones who are leading today, the day that he's in. He said, you generation of vipers, 
how many of you know that's usually not the way you address the people who are in office? But John the Baptist didn't care. And then when uh, the leader marries his, uh, I think it's his daughter, uh, I mean, uh, his brother's wife, uh, you know, he just announced it. You know, it's unlawful for you to, to do that. And that's how he lost his head because he didn't care what anybody thought. And so he came, uh, John the Baptist, in the spirit of Elijah, where both of them are rough, cut, and they have a message, and the message is to everybody, and they really don't care what anybody thinks. That's the spirit of Elijah. So the older couple is giving birth to one who's preparing the way. Now the others are going to benefit from the way that's been prepared and even Jesus. And Jesus made the statement, of anyone born of a woman's womb, there's none greater than John the Baptist who prepared my way. So all of these things, all of these events, all these miraculous happenings are a part of the Christmas story. And I don't want us to get caught up in not realizing what we're celebrating that has been so eloquently said already this morning. We have to know why we do what we do. We have to know biblically what the Bible says about the events of Christmas. And I think that when people think it's a story, it's a sham, it's a myth, it's just not real, that you and I would have enough wisdom and information to literally have someone second guess their opinion because how we can share what actually happened at Christmas. And let me reinstate just a, 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 a tidbit that we did about two or three weeks ago. For someone to fulfill eight prophecies in the Christmas story is one in one quintillion which is the number after trillion. For someone to pull that off, the odds are one in one quintillion. How many of you know? That's amazing. And there are just eight that I mentioned for those numbers. And that was just at the birth. There are 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Over 300. And he fulfilled all 300, and the odds of any person ever born, ever alive, it's astronomical that anyone could ever, ever do that. One of the numbers I saw was there are, there are more molecules in our world than chances of someone fulfilling 300 prophecies in their lifetime. That is amazing. But how many of you know, we serve an amazing God. And so when the angels just spoke to the lowly shepherds, this day, in this city, there is born this baby, wrapped this way, because I want, to, I want you to be sure you get the right one. And historically and biblically, there's no way we can miss the right one 
if we believe what the Bible actually says. Because he is the right one. Amen? Stand with me tonight. Did y'all get anything out of that tonight? God is good, isn't he? Tonight, if you would, and, and I thought about this for the last couple of days, if you're sick in body, or you'd like to stand in for someone who's sick in body, I'd like for you to immediately come out and just stand right here in the front, and um, we're going to pray for you tonight. So if you would, just come out. They're going to start some music, and we're going to start gathering up here. If you want to pray for somebody who's sick in body, if you're sick in body, I want you to come and stand tonight. we're going to talk about miracles we're going to believe God still does them amen so we're going to wait for you if you're sick in body if you want to stand there for somebody who's sick why don't you come to stand here now for the rest of us would you gather around these people who are standing we're going to lay hands upon them we're going to do what brother James says in the New Testament he said if there's any sick among you let them call for the elders of the church lay hands on them pray for them and uh Matt, if you would, there should be a bottle of oil over there behind that speaker, if it's still there. And we're actually going to pray for those who've come forward and believe God for a miracle. You know, everywhere I turn, there's somebody sick now. And uh, that, that's just what happens because we live in that kind of world. So w- would you begin to pray for those who have come up, lay your hands on them, Matt's going to know them with oil. We're just going to believe God for a miracle tonight. Amen? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We lift up our voice. And God, we believe and we declare that you are our God. You're the mighty God. You're the thrice holy God. You are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. And Lord, just as we read about this miraculous Christmas story, we still believe in the miracle-working power that you have. And in the name of Jesus, God, as we lay hands upon those who've come Lord, for sickness or they're standing in for someone, God, we're praying for the miraculous. We're praying for the healing. Lord, as we have read your word, if we have dominion on this earth, we speak health and we speak healing in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we pray that you would just give us strength. We pray that you would just give us a cure, a solution. God, give us what only you can give us, not what we can produce. And God, we just thank you for the miraculous things that you do in our lives. Lord, bless your people. Encourage their hearts. God, let them feel your strength tonight. And we pray it, we believe it, we receive it by faith in the awesome power of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.